The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing striving as always to be your public radio source for the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your real estate investing business and tonight we are going to talk about something that you don't want to hear we're going to talk about something that does not make you money but has the potential to save you a lot of money and it's something that most folks don't really want to deal with until after something has already happened and then it's too late. That topic is insurance. Do not turn your radio off. If I had a dime for every real estate investor or rehabber who came to me and said, oh, something terrible just happened to my property and it turns out I wasn't insured against it, what do I do? I would have enough money to pay your claim myself. It is so important that you understand what insurance you ought to have, what insurance you know, maybe don't necessarily meet, need, of course, how to save money on it where possible while still being intelligent about protecting your assets with insurance. My guest today to discuss this important topic is Sean Wodel, who is the vice president of the National Real Estate Insurance Group, a.k.a. NRIG. Uh, he's a really well-known in the insurance industry, uh, speaker and educator, and uh, has sort of an emphasis on commercial properties and the sort of properties that you and I own, which is different than when you insure your own house. Joining us from his home in Kansas City is Sean Wodel. Sean, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you, Vina. Thank you for having me. And I am very glad to have you, and I'm really hoping hoping that listeners took me seriously when I said, don't turn this off because it's important. Because <laughs> I know Absolutely. as many questions as I get about, well, but I didn't realize my house was insured for the wind, but not the water. You guys must get it 10 <laughs> times as often, right? Because yes, you're, you're the ones who are, who are, people are calling up to make claims, and they don't even under, understand what it is that they own. So we're going to try to clarify this topic, which, I mean, it, it may not be confusing to you, but it seriously is confusing to the rest of us because we get sure. we get different stories, right? Like, uh, um, I remember the first time I ever insured a rental property. My guy who did my house insurance, so, so you know, I own my own house and I've got my homeowner's policy. He said, oh, well... You know, all you got to do is we just got to put a rider on your, your home insurance policy. It won't hardly cost you anything to insure that rental property if you just add it to your homeowner's policy. So I did it. He's the insurance agent. He should know, right? 
And then I found out a couple of years later that my rental property was actually not insured in 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 the way in which one wants it to be insured when one has tenants and you know the potential for liability as well as property damage so let's let's just you know we'll, we'll take questions right because I'm, I'm sure there's some some that folks have that i haven't thought of and they can call those in at 877-772-9658 before the end of the hour or go to our uh, website which is realliferealestate.com there's a question and answer box there and if they just fill that in it'll come here but you know we're just gonna we're gonna try and try and deal with with all the confusion out there. So first question is why not just go to my, my local homeowners guy, you know, my, my insurance rep from one of the big companies that says, yeah, let's just add your five rental properties to your homeowner's policy, or let's, let's take that rehab you're doing. That's empty and add it to your homeowner's policy. Why, why am I not supposed to do that? You know, homeowners and commercial policies like the, like the ones designed to cover investment properties, they're underwritten completely different. So the last thing you really want to do is to tie in your personal liability policy, like the one you garner from your homeowner, homeowner's policy, into which is really a business exposure, such as a rental policy. Uh, you know, commercial policies pick up additional exposures that homeowner's policies do not. Uh, one major instance of this is actually a, a pollution exclusion, which on the liability side, means coverage for carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, many homeowners' policies have total pollution exclusions, meaning that if, if you were to uh, have a tenant get sick or, God forbid, they pass away from carbon monoxide, there's a good chance you're on your own to defend that claim. You know, on many commercial policies, you know, coverage is afforded for any pollutant that emanates from a heating source. Many times commercial policies are, are more expensive than what you're going to find with homeowners' policies, but the coverages they provide, they, they trump the homeowners' policy. So don't sacrifice coverages to save a few bucks and definitely know the coverages that you have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you say you say know the coverages you have, but have you ever seen an insurance policy? Yeah, I, I mean, every day. <laughs> they, are, they are pages and pages and pages and pages long, and they they read like a piece of legislation. You know, it'll say <laughs> it'll say except as in otherwise excluded in paragraph graph five three C. We we hereby agree to, and you, you're flipping back and forth trying to see. There, there. You understand why why lay people are confused about about what they even have. So. Let's um, let's let's take let's start with the people out there who already have policies and have probably never read them. If you were to take out their policy and drop it in front of them, what would you tell them to look for in there? So the, there's a number of items that you should review to make sure you're covered correctly or in the manner in which you want to be covered. You know, be sure to review your exclusion pages so you know what coverages you do and don't have. That's normally the back end of the policy. Make sure you're comfortable with these exclusions and know that, know that some of them can be actually added to your policy by simply requesting them from your agent for minimal or no additional premium. Um, you want to review the limits of insurance that's dedicated to your building, uh, listed as well as the, deduct- the uh, deductibles, the coverage form you're carrying, the co-insurance percentage, the minimum earned premium if that applies, and also be sure to confirm that the occupancy is listed correctly um, on the policy itself because a location reported and listed on your policy is occupied that may actually be vacant or undergoing rehab can actually void coverage in the event of a loss. That was a mouthful. <laughs> so so what we're, 
what we're what we're what we're looking for is number one what is not covered because that is sure. I was very surprised the first time I actually bothered to read my policy and discover that despite the fact that I live in Ohio, tornadoes are not automatically covered. Yeah, that you know that's that's one coverage that's it's a little bit tricky depending on where you're at in the country. It can be wind and hail, and then name windstorm if you if you're you know exposed to the cat uh, to the cat areas, which are tier one and tier two counties. Um, haven't experienced too many of those that, that tornado is uncovered in, in Ohio. Uh, hopefully, you don't run into that. But if you do have a full wind or hail exclusion, you're absolutely right. Then there's no coverage for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just just check it over and make sure because you know a lot of people get their policy and then they they don't look at it again. Right. I mean, it comes it comes in every year, but they just sort of throw it in the file. And the property that you insured for a hundred thousand dollars ten years ago might still be insured for a hundred, but now it's worth one eighty. Right. And you're going to be very disappointed when your insurance company doesn't want to cover a total loss of your property because you only had it insured for a hundred thousand dollars because you never looked right. at it again. So, yeah. so uh, it, it, it's very worth it to do a review, and this is a good time of year to do it, right? I mean, for most people, uh, at this time of year or the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's, uh, work slows down. So, a good time to sort of sort of start going through things and making sure that you know your your will is updated, your insurance policies are correct, all of those sorts of things. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am interviewing Sean Wodel from National Real Estate Insurance Group. Uh, they do a lot of um, uh, property policies, so we're talking we're talking about uh, property insurance, you know, like um, liability and loss and all that sort of thing. So if you have a question about a policy uh, or about or that is to say about policies about insurance and what you should be carrying and so on, give us a call at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or you can send us an email. Just go to realliferealestate.com, click the question and answer button, fill in the question box and send it on over. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Fina Jones-Cox, talking today to Sean Wodel from National Real Estate Insurance Group about insurance. Like what what should you be what should you be doing with your insurance because you know you if you have a loan on your property you have to have it the bank just doesn't let you borrow money from them and then not insure your properties even if you don't have loans there are some very very good reasons to get insurance even beyond the idea of what if my house burns down i mean i know people who say well i only paid ten thousand dollars for the house i afford the loss but what if somebody gets hurt when the house burns down, can you afford that loss? Because you're going to be paying something if somebody gets hurt. Um, and let's let's talk about that, Sean. Uh, a lot of people are confused about the difference between like the insurance that is for loss to the property, and then insurance that covers things like you know tenant gets hurt, tenant's guest gets hurt, somebody 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 is injured on around or by the property. Uh, is it the case that all investor policies automatically cover both of those things? No, it's not. And that's, that's a great point. Um, you know, we have many investors that will choose to, for the exact reason that you just said, they, they may choose not to insure the property itself because if the property burns to the ground, you, you know maximum how much money you're out. And, and if you're okay to afford that and be all right, then absolutely have at it. You know, not something we recommend, but we see it every day. 
liability is, is, is very different. So it, it's so important because it, it protects you against personal injury claims that occur on your premises, like, like slip and falls. You know, it, it's really up to you as the investor to decide how much liability coverage is enough to protect your business. But at the very least, what we recommend is that you carry a million dollars per occurrence, which will come with a $2 million policy aggregate limit for the annual term. And then really, as your portfolio grows, or if you're just simply comfortable carrying a higher amount, then you, you'd want to look at an umbrella or excess liability policy to increase those limits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, explain, you're speaking insurance, explain aggregate. Sure. You, said, you said there might be a $2 million aggregate. So, so aggregate means within the annual term of your policy, so for 12 months, the maximum amount of, of money that, that that's policy, the liability policy would pay would be $2 million, whether it's two separate million-dollar claims, a handful of $250,000 claims. So if you're, if you're not comfortable with $2 million being your cap, knowing that above and beyond that $2 million would be paid out of pocket to, as, to you as the owner, then you want to look at higher limits. Mm-hmm. Now, the other the other kind of numerical thing in the policies, other than the limits, is the deductibles. Right. Right? I hear people talk about deductibles. I have a five hundred dollar mm-hmm. deductible. I have a twenty five hundred dollar deductible. Let's let's talk about a what deductible really means, and b whether it's good to have a higher one or a lower one. Okay, so the the deductible is really the the amount you're willing or that you can can self-insure on, on a property assuming a loss. Uh, it really depends on, on the investor of how, how much risk they're willing to take on and that, that they're able to take on. Your property rate that, that the insurance company provides by, is directly affected by the deductible that you carry. So the higher deductible you carry, the lower your property rate's going to be. Um, so a good rule of thumb that we use is to think about the minimum claim, property claim that you'd ever turn in as an investor, if it's $1,000, great. If it's 5000 great. Think, just take some time and think about it. Double that amount, and that's about the deductible that we recommend that you carry because that's about the amount you could, you could stand to, to pay without damaging your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So higher, higher or lower really just depends on your business model and, and, and cash flow and what you're comfortable carrying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in other words, if there's, if there's a loss of some sort, whether, again, it's a, a liability type thing, an, an injury or something, or whether it is a you know, tree falls through the roof. That happened to me last year. Uh, That's the part that you pay before the insurance actually kicks in and starts writing a check. Right. And it's important to note, too, that liability, on the other hand, it works completely different. So whereas property rates are directly determined by the deductible that you carry, it's one of the factors. Liability is not that way. So the deductible on a liability policy is usually a set amount that's predetermined by the carrier that you're going through, and raising the deductible won't affect your rates. Mm-hmm. Now you said something uh, in in the in the list of things we ought to be looking at in our policies. You said something about coinsurance. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So coinsurance is simply put a, a property insurance provision that states that the amount of coverage that must be maintained as a percentage of the total value of the property for the insured to be able to collect the full amount of a loss. Oh, yeah, that was really simple. Thank you for explaining so, that yeah, simply. You're, you're right. So, <laughs> you do, 
but I can give you an example. So common coinsurance values are between 80, 90, and 100%. The higher the percentage, the worse off it is for the, as an investor, right? Because that's guaranteeing that, that you, as, as the agreement with the actual insurance carrier, agreeing to be insured to 100% of the, of the true replacement cost value of the property. Well, the problem with that is, is until the property burns down or a claim occurs, you don't really know what the true replacement cost is because it can change. So if, let's just say even if a partial loss were to happen, at that time an adjuster is going to come out and they're going to figure out how much it would cost to rebuild that property had it burned to the ground. And let's just say it's a nice round number and they say it would have cost $100,000 to rebuild it. They're going, to, they're going to refer back to your policy and they're going to look at the dwelling coverage amount that you're carrying. They're going to look at it and say, okay, you've got an 80% coinsurance clause, meaning you need to be insured to at least $80,000 to meet your 80% co-insurance clause because we just deemed that the property was worth $100,000. If, you're, if, you're, if your uh, debt page shows a dwelling coverage amount of $80,000 or more, great, you've met your co-insurance requirement. However, if it's $79,999 or less, they can assess what's called a co-insurance penalty, which they're going to do prior to figuring in any depreciation or deductible. So it's just another way, it's a a tricky way for an insurance company to be able to minimize the amount of money they pay out in the event of a claim. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let me, and and I'm sure you will correct me if I'm wrong. The idea here is you are supposed to carry adequate insurance. The insurance company wants you to carry insurance adequate to Mm -hmm. actually replace the property so that that you're not paying, I mean, it's cheaper to buy an insurance policy for $50,000 than it is for $100,000. And they don't want you going going along with a fifty thousand uh, dollar policy until your house burns down, and then saying, "Ha, my house was worth a hundred thousand dollars." Is that what I'm hearing here? Yes. Yeah, you're right. So most of the time, if you if you have a policy like what you just mentioned, and you're only insured for fifty thousand um, dollars, and the property's deemed to be worth $100,000, then you're absolutely right. You're going to have a co-insurance penalty that's going to be figured in, so it's going to, it's going to minimize how much money you make in that payout. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So basically at that point, after, after the dust has settled, after this has already happened and I can't go back and undo it and say, oops, I meant 100 <laughs> uh, what this means is that the, the loss of my property may not be fully covered. You're exactly right. Okay, so we have to make sure so, that we're insuring for appropriate amounts and not not trying to save money by saying, "Ah, well, fifty is fine when it's a hundred thousand right. dollar property." And, and so, ideally, what you want to look for, Vina, is as a as a property policy that has no coinsurance or that coinsurance is waived. Okay, and, and that will eliminate that guessing game. That would be even better, wouldn't it? <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, so I, I hear these uh, terms thrown around where where people will say, "Well, I only insure, I only uh, insure my property for actual cash value because it's cheaper than insuring it for replacement value." Can you explain what the difference is between those two things? Sure. So, actual cash value uh, settles in settles claims with depreciation uh, figured into the to the settlement, and replacement cost allows the claims to be settled with reimbursable depreciation. So the easiest way for me to explain this is, is to run you through a quick claims example. Let's just say you, you suffer a kitchen fire, and it's just a partial loss, maybe causes $30,000 worth of damage. At that time, you're going to have the adjuster come out. They're going to figure out how much useful life was left and what was damaged. They can figure out what depreciation to charge you. And let's just say for a nice round number that it's 40%. So it's a dated kitchen, hasn't been updated very recently. So off of that $30,000 kitchen fire, they're going to depreciate that loss $12,000, leaving you with an $18,000 payout. 
then they're going to figure in your deductible, which let's just say is $3,000, leaving your actual cash value settlement around $15,000 to pay for that $30,000 kitchen fire. Now, for individuals that are on actual cash value policies, it, it, that is what it is. You can take that 15000 do with it what you want. Repair your kitchen. You can sell the property as is and keep that money. It's yours. Um, really, the only difference with replacement costs is replacement costs gives you the ability to go back and recoup that $12,000 in this example of depreciation that was initially levied against you and your claim. Now, the way you do that is you utilize the 15000 for repairs and you exhaust that amount. Uh, make the remaining repairs out of pocket, submit the receipts to the insurance company, and then they'll actually reimburse you for up to that Mm $12,000. Let me guess that one of those two kinds of insurance is cheaper than the other. Absolutely. So actual cash value typically is about 30% cheaper per year than what a replacement cost policy is. And the price is really driven by the fact that replacement cost policies, to garner that coverage, you're required to carry a higher amount of coverage per square foot than on actual cash value. Um, but I can tell you that probably, I don't know, I would say 60% of the, or better of the, uh, of the individuals speaking within our program um, that are on replacement cost policies that, that suffer a partial loss never come back and recoup the depreciation, not because they don't want to, but because the actual cash value settlement was more than enough to make them whole again. You know, many investors are, are savvy and they're not paying retail for labor or materials and can typically get things rebuilt for substantially less than what an insurance company thinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so much of this, as I, as, as I hear it, and as I'm sure as listeners hear it, they're thinking, well, I would rather have the cheaper one unless I have the loss, in which case I'm going to wish I had the more expensive one. And it, this, it, it's all, you know, sort of a sort of a betting game, right? The insurance company's it is. betting. The insurance company's betting that you're going to pay more in premiums than they have to pay to you, and you're you're betting that if you take the cheaper options, you're not going to have some catastrophic loss. Uh, which right. which you know the odds are in your favor on the uh, on that until it happens, and then they're not anymore. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm talking today to Sean Wodel from National Real Estate Insurance Group, and we're we're just talking kind of about insurance policies like what what should you have what do you not need um you know what's cheaper what's more expensive what's uh what's covered i know you guys have questions about insurance because i hear them all the time and i can't answer them because i'm not the insurance expert but sean is so why don't you give us a call with your question at 877-772-9658 or you can go to our website realliferealestate.com fill in the asvina question tab and we will get it here by email Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Sean Wodel from National Real Estate Insurance Group. He's vice president of that organization, according to his bio, which I should, probably should have flipped back to the first after the first two breaks. And we are talking today about insurance, and particularly insurance for rental properties, also insurance for your vacant properties, your rehabs. I know all of these become a thorn in the sides of listeners from time to time as they get quoted, you know, $3,000 to insure a rehab property for six months. And then they say, how can they charge that? How can and how can they not give it back to me if I only take a month to rehab the property? Well, you know, Sean's Sean's the guy to target with those questions, not me. Uh, we're going to take some calls from listeners. We're going to start on line two with Russell, who I think is from Connecticut. Russell, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi. 
Yes, how are you doing, Russell? Good to see you again. Or, here, or talk to you again. <laughs> Good to see you too, Russell. Is there a camera in <laughs> here? <laughs> Maybe not literally see, but... Uh, anyway, I had a question for him regarding uh, the... Uh, is, as far as whether it's a, kind of a state-by-state-by-state by state issue. Um, um, wait a minute. Russell, uh, Russell, can you turn... I think you're listening to us on, on your computer. Can you yes. turn that off because it's confusing you? Yes. Yes, because we're on a seven-second um, delay. It, yeah. Like, well, like with LLCs and other and other and other entities, it's uh, sometimes it's a, it's a, it, it depends varies on the state laws and all that. I wonder if that applies in insurance and also if you need a special uh, person who's specifically qualified in commercial and the types of things we're talking about. So, so question number one is: Does does insurance uh, vary state vary. to state? Like, like what you can, what coverages you can get, and stuff like that? Is that sort of the question? Correct, and the and the coverages you should have depending on the state you're in, and sure. and also, like what I should look for in not just any insurance agent, though somebody who knows more about the coverages that you need. Yeah, somebody who's more investor specific. Okay. Yes. Go on, okay, Sean. so. Yeah, great question. So to answer your question, yes, uh, it does vary by state. So there's going to be there's going to be some states where coverages are required, where others are not. So up up and down the East Coast, we find that sometimes it's a more frequent uh, coverage requirement that they require mold coverage. Uh, you can look at you know Florida or any any states that are, have that touch coastal waters that are required to car- carry hurricane coverage, or Oklahoma, California, some of the other states that are required to to carry uh, earthquake coverage due to. Uh, Due to the fault line, so yes, it does. Okay. Uh, to, okay. To answer the se- to answer the second part of your question, you you want to you want to work with a licensed property and casualty agent that's licensed in your state that you're doing business in and where your properties are located. Mm-hmm. Well, his, his okay. I think his his question was really our insurance needs as as investors. I mean, once you, mm-hmm. once you get past just the the very basic idea of, okay, I own a rental property and get into, well, I own a rental property by which I mean a land trust with an LLC as a beneficiary bought it subject to the existing loan, which means the (laughs) loan is in somebody else's name, but I own the property. That kind of specialty. Because okay. I've seen so, I've, I've seen some I've seen some uh, you know re- regular insurance agents get super confused by that sort of setup. They don't know they don't know who to insure. Right. So the so bottom line is, if you have ownership interest in the property, then you need to be named as first name insured on your policy, or your LLC right. or your entity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. All right. Okay. Anything okay. else to look out for specific to? To Connecticut, Connecticut, and to you know our needs as being landlord landlords and yeah, you 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 want to be particularly careful in the Northeast on, on your liability policies, um, just because liability premium, whereas property premium usually drives the cost in the majority of states. Northeast is a little bit different. Uh, the, the liability exposure is a little bit higher up there. The laws are a little bit different, so the liability uh, premium actually drives your cost. So so be particular. Be you know. Be aware of that when you're shopping your insurance. All right, excellent. Good. Thank you. Th- thank you for your call, Russell. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. And that... here, here. No, it's not not seeing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the, uh, the, not, uh, you know, again, we we should we, should, we the. I I've lost the ability to speak, Mike. Take over, please. Oh my goodness. You gotta love live radio. See, if if we actually were just doing a podcast or webinar, we just edit that out. But sadly 
live radio, you just you just look like a fool from time to time. Um, we talk a lot here about how all of your team members need to be somewhat specialized toward the real estate investing business. And I know that uh, the first time I went and got insurance, again, was from somebody who had sold me a homeowner's policy. And the first time I asked them how I was supposed to insure a land contract, the guy looked at me like I had two heads. I mean, he had no idea what I was talking about. He couldn't even, he couldn't even work it out. He didn't know what question to ask <laughs> the actual insurer because he didn't understand the business. And you know, just like we need an investor-friendly title company, an investor-friendly attorney, we need somebody in the insurance business who really understands what we're doing. We're going to go to line one and talk to Loretta, who is calling from here in Cincinnati. Loretta, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi there. How are you doing? And thank you for taking my call. I'm glad to have you call. I have two questions. Um, one you may have already partially answered uh, before I turned on this program, but it involves how would I go about insuring a really old home like that was built, a two-family a two home that was built in the 1930s, and which type of insurance? Because some of the places I had called, they didn't insure a home that old. The other, the second part of the question is who would... I go to for help to ensure that same property if it's in a land trust. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so the first of all, Sean, are you aware of insurers who refuse to insure properties based on their age? Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty common among certain certain carriers. They have requirements and in, in within their reinsurance contracts that don't allow them to to insure properties that are sometimes older than thirty years, fifty years. Just depends on the contract. Um, Fortunately, the, the second part of her question kind of feeds right into our program that, that we can actually help her. Um, we, we have no age requirement within our program, uh, so we're happy to help that as well as on the land contract. Mm -hmm. Now, wait, okay. Loretta, did you say it was a land contract or a land trust? Trust. Okay, so. Oh, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, that, so there's a, that's okay. All right, so there's a trustee who owns it, and then you or your company is the beneficiary of that trust. Right. Okay, now, right. Let, and let, let me ask you this, Sean. Uh, you had said earlier that if you are if you have a title interest in a property, you should be the first name insured. What if it what if there is a land trust involved? So that um, uh, Mike here is the trustee. It's Mike Martini, trustee of the One Two Three Easy Street Trust, but it's Loretta LLC that's actually the beneficiary. Who buys the? I mean, I know who I know who pays for the policy, but whose name is on the policy? That's actually how we would list it on the policy. Is that exactly how you just said it? Oh, it would be Mark, Mike, Mike Martini, trustee, Loretta, LLC, as, as, a, as also insured, right? Or yes, and then it, then it protects, and then it would, have, it would uh, provide protection for all entities. All right. Does that answer your question, Loretta? Uh, yes. And what, uh, where would I get Sean's number from? Uh, it, we can put you on hold and put you back to the operator, and okay. she can get your number, and we'll, we'll send it over to Sean, Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate both of you. All right. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Loretta. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today about insurance issues. And I am so glad you guys are calling because this is the week to call about insurance stuff. I mean, it still confuses me after 25 years of insuring properties. I still pick up the phone and call these guys all the time and say, eh, I don't know how to do this. So... Um, if you have a question, you can call 877-772-9658, or you can send it in to realliferealestate.com. That's, that's just go to the website. There's a tab there. It says, ask me a question. It'll send it here. And we will be back right after this. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Sean Wodel from National Real Estate Insurance Group in RIG. And uh, y'all who are not on the email list for Real Life Real Estate are missing out because every week we send out an announcement that the show's coming up so you don't miss it and you have the opportunity to call in live and not have to listen to the podcast months later and go, man, I really had a good question for that guy. Also, we uh, always send out an article by or about our guests and Sean provided us with a really great article, I thought, about the difference for insurance purposes between a flood and a sewer backup. It turns out they are two different things for your, yeah, yeah, your basement might flood, <laughs> but if it wasn't a flood, it was your sewer backing up, you may or may not be covered for it. And we send out stuff like this every week. And the way you get signed up for that, those email alerts is to go to realliferealestate.com. There's a little thingy up in the upper corner that says, I don't know, something like, sign up for our e-letter i don't know but realliferealestate.com is the place to go to do that um sean one of the things that my tenants don't seem to understand and I, i suspect therefore that a lot of landlords don't understand uh has to do with the difference between the rental property and the stuff inside the rental property i remember the first time this happened to me um power the power went off in a property and I, I think it was you know somebody hit a transform or something like that but anyway the tenant came to me and said I had just gone to the grocery store and I bought $300 worth of meat and put it in my freezer and then the power went off for 12 hours and it all went bad and I want you to make an insurance claim on your insurance because my stuff went bad sure or or they say or you know you do get a sewer back up and and they've got stuff in the basement and it gets flooded and the tenants expect that your insurance policy covers that is there any such thing as a landlord insurance policy that covers tenant contents there's actually not uh so for for the tenants contents to be covered they would need to have a renter's policy in force um, it, it, we rec- we actually we recommend and strongly encourage our clients that they require that for each and every one of their properties, really for a number of reasons. First being uh, that the renter's policies will include contents coverage, and typically that's a sublimit, you know, between $2,500 and $10,000 um, to be able to, you know, replenish them in the event something were to happen. But the, the, the second part of that, and where it can really help you as an investor, as a property owner, on it, to have these renter's policy enforces is they also come with liability limits anywhere between 50000 and 300000 just depending on the policy. That that will actually kick in and pick up those tenant caused claims or losses, which you know like kitchen fires or maybe a tenant leaving a candle burning, and that's about sixty to sixty five percent of the property claims that we see across the country. So it's going to help the owner by being able to subrogate against that renter's policy to where they do not have to turn that loss into their property policy, and it's going to help stabilize their property rates long term. Because as you if you turn in a property claim or you have a property loss, regardless of the payout it can actually affect your property rate for up to five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when, a question just, just came in that's sort of along the same line, so I'm going to ask it, but I, I want to come back to that issue of uh, tenant policies because uh, that's um, you know it's something we, uh, we try to require from our tenants, but our tenants sometimes have a very hard time getting those. 
Uh, question here from Lisa in Dayton, Ohio. She says, a few years back, I had the very first loss I'd ever had on a rental property after owning them for 15 years. And I had anywhere between 11 and 20 properties on that policy for that entire time. As soon as I made the claim, which was an arson claim that had nothing to do with me, my insurance company dropped me. Is that even legal? Unfortunately, yeah, they they can do it. You, you want to try to get with a carrier or a program that has the ability to isolate that one location away from your entire schedule, so it doesn't you know doesn't penalize you on, on your property rates or, or in this case canceling you altogether for you know having one problem child that, that maybe had an issue. So unfortunately, yeah, I, I see it happen all the time, and the best bet is to is to try to get with a a company or a program that understands. Um, investment properties like this and can structure your property the right way to avoid this from happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, unfortunately, you know, insurance companies are businesses like everybody else. And if right. they, uh, <laughs> if they, if they no longer see you as a good customer, they do in fact have the right to fire you as a customer. But, uh, uh, the, uh, this, her second question, uh, Sean is going forward. Is this going to affect her rates or ability to get insurance even with another company? It can, yes, especially depending on the severity, uh, depending on if it was a total loss, what was actually paid, the deductible you were carrying at the time, uh, and, the, and the fact that it was, an, was determined to be arson is a little bit more difficult than just, say, a, a, you know, an electrical fire. With that being said, there are, there are carriers and there's programs out there that will ensure these risks because they understand that it's a one-off type of deal. And as long as, you know, frequency is just as important as severity. So a one-off severity, a one-off claim like that that isn't a, a string of, of of claims happening, a lot of insurance companies or programs can look past that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, question just came in from Teal, who is in the Columbus area. She says, is rehab insurance different from vacancy insurance? I'm wondering if when you get one kind of insurance to hold during the rehab, and then once you finish the rehab and list it with an agent to sell it, do you have to get a different kind of insurance uh, while it's vacant until it's purchased? In other words, active rehab versus house is rehabbed, but it's sitting there vacant because I'm waiting to sell it. Are those two different policies? So, yes, they are. Um, they're, they're two different ones. The, the coverages that, they're, that, that are included can be different as well based on the forms that they're going to offer you. Now, most I will say that most policies are going to provide you with a, a 30 or a 60-day, what they call vacancy clause, that's going to provide you with a, a little bit of time where you don't actually have to report the change in occupancy. So if rehab is completed and it's on the market for for 30 days, most of those policies or carriers out there are not going to re- require you to report it vacant. But at day 31 or day 61, depending on what your policy reads, your coverages can substantially change if that property is truly vacant and there's no presence at the property. About a month and a half ago, we had a guest on who was talking about asset protection getting LLCs, corporations, that sort of thing. And over the following uh, few weeks, I got a number of questions that went, why do I need an LLC if I have an insurance policy? And I tried to explain as best I could that there are certain things that you just cannot buy insurance to cover and that the the purpose of the LLC is to sort of uh, segregate your assets. So let's talk a little bit about those things. In, in regards to um, 
a landlord doing his management business, uh, dealing with tenants, uh, things that can happen within a property. What are some common things that just are not going to be covered? It really depends on the the type of policy that you're that you're carrying. Um, you know, each can be different in the covered perils and exclusions that they have listed. You know, overall, there's three types of property policies you can purchase. You can purchase a basic form, a broad, or a special form policy. Basic and broad are what we call name peril policy forms, meaning that the perils that are covered in their policy are actually listed as included perils on the declarations pages of your policy. Um, on these types of policy forms, the burden of proof is with the insured to prove to the insurance company that the, the, cause of, the loss was caused by a covered peril. Special form is a little bit different. So special form is what we call all-risk coverage, meaning that unless there are specific exclusions listed within the policy deck pages, then coverage is afforded to you in the event of a loss. Okay, so, and on that, the burden, of, the burden of proof lies with the insurance carrier to prove that the loss was caused by an excluded peril. So it's a little bit different. There are some policy exclusions that are pretty universal, and I can name those off. There's about, uh, there's probably about eight of them, if you guys want me to. It's, um, it's going to be flood, earth movement, which includes earthquake, uh, government action, nuclear hazard, sewer and drain backup, any loss due to faulty zoning, poor workmanship, faulty materials, and defective maintenance, wear and tear, damage to the property caused by insects, birds, rodents, and other animals, and then, of course, intentional loss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if you, if you go with a basic form policy, there's some additional ones you need to be aware of, such as theft, water damage, falling objects. So there's some other ones that you can – but keep in mind, just like on actual cash value and replacement costs, going on a basic form policy – and self-insuring some of those risks, such as theft and water damage, can save you about 30% per year from going on a special form policy. Mm -hmm. And there's things like you got accused of discrimination and a, um, a, a, a fine was handed down to you by the state for $20,000. You're not going to be able to go to your insurance company and say, hey, pay this. Right. Um, right. there, there is a list of kinds of dogs that most insurance companies will not cover, uh, any, any injury from the dogs. Everybody, you know, everybody knows pit bulls are on that list and, you know, chows and things like that. Very difficult to get insurance. Uh, if your, if your tenants pit bull bite somebody, chances are your insurance is not going to cover any damage from that. Yep, most carriers you're correct. They will not. Yeah, so it's um, it's a it's a thing you really need to sit down and, and take a look at and study because when you think about over over the course of many years, your insurance uh, payments are going to be a significant part of your expenses, and so it would be a good thing for you to understand what you were uh, absolutely not going to be covered for, and again, asset protection. Asset protection to segregate your stuff. Sean, what, are there any coverages that you typically do not recommend that investors get? Anything that's kind of kind of out there and people buy it and you're like, eh, honestly, that's sort of a waste of money. The, the, the second I tell you that, uh, something will happen. <laughs> um, but <laughs> what, I, what I recommend is, is carrying the coverages that are right for you and your business. So if, if an actual cash policy fits your business model because you either own the property outright or in the event of a total loss, you simply wouldn't rebuild, you cash out and, and move on, 
then carry actual cash value and don't carry replacement cost. You're, if, you, if you carry replacement cost in that scenario where you don't need it or you're never going to utilize it, you're just throwing your money away and you're paying the insurance company more than you need to. To, to go the, to go the completely other direction with that question, because the first thing that pops in my head is that you never want to go without liability coverage. Even if you have ownership interest in the property for one day, purchase a short-term liability policy. We have some owners that, like I said before, will, will self-insure the property coverage, and that's okay. But liability is really, like we said before, is the unknown. So depending on how severe that incident is determined to be can dictate how, this, how high the settlement goes against you. So never self-insure liability. And at the moment that you're made aware of even a potential liability claim occurring, notify your liability carrier right away. So never attempt to settle any liability claim yourself, because doing so diminishes the insurance company ability to do so. And that ultimately could leave you on, on your own to defend that claim altogether. Very good. Lots and lots and lots of information there, Sean. Uh, we may need to have you back again in six months, because I know what's going to happen is I'm going to get 50 questions after the show of people who Happy are to. like, hey, what did... What what would Sean say about this? And I won't know, but I do appreciate your <laughs> do appreciate your time. That's Sean Wodel from National Real Estate Insurance Group, and we will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 